This Change Cultivators podcast series was sponsored by CB4, Caterpillar Farm, and Currency. Welcome, Change Cultivators community. We are super excited to bring you kind of a different product today. We're going to do a little mini series, and we're going to touch on a topic that's really timely and really important, the topic of gender bias, and particularly what gender bias gets in the way of as you try to lead during times of transformation and change. It's going to be a fun series. We're going to chunk it up over a couple of things. I think you're going to love it because it's a little bit different, but it's still building on our promise to deliver great leadership tips, tricks, and hacks as you have to lead teams, whether it's a team of 10 or a team of a thousand in times of transformation and disruption. As always, I am super happy to be joined by my co-host, Roz. Roz, how are you? I am good, Patrick, and I am thrilled to be here for this series. Um, as we were chatting before, I think for a number of reasons, I think it is such an important topic, not only for, for women, and, but for men as well. And we've got such a fantastic panel with us today, six executive level women who bring a fresh take on gender bias in the work. They've walked the halls, which is the most important thing from the bottom ranks right up to the top and have such amazing hands-on experience with, you know, 20 plus industries. We have ladies here today from PepsiCo, ESPN, NFL, Peloton. And I think they really bring such an unparalleled insight into the inclusive leadership and work culture. And finally, the, the, the other reason I'm, I'm super excited about this topic is because, you know, it is a topic that can and will have such a significant impact on whether an economy or society will survive. And so unless we come together as an industry to unpack and address it head on, we run the risk of halting progress, you know, for generations to come. So really, really, you know, excited to kick this off today. Awesome. Such super, super little nuggets you've shared there, Roz. And, and as you mentioned, it's a fantastic group of powerhouse women, right? Who took the task, which is not something that any of them had to do, um, to, to, Go get a bunch of thoughts from a lot of leaders, share their own experience, and document that in the book. The book will come out in a couple of months. You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. And it's written by the wonderful group that we have with us today, the Band of Sisters. Good day, Band of Sisters. Right. We're going to go around in a minute and introduce each one of you and give you some time. But hello, Band of Sisters. Does anybody want to say hello on behalf of the group? <laughs> hello. We all say hello. Hi. Awesome. <laughs> Well, thank Good you morning. for being here. We are looking forward to this series of chats with you guys. So super, 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 super. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to dig into the book. But even more importantly, we're going to dig into why you choose to write the book. We're going to dig into what's in the book that helps leaders during times of change, you know, leading the team and the problems that gender bias has within their teams, as well as maybe above their or across their teams. It's going to be a super fun conversation as we go through that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. So before we dive in, I'm just going to go around the, the room or the Zoom and uh, just give everyone a chance to just say hi to our guests. So let me start with... Hello. Yes. My name is Dawn Hudson, and my career really has centered around working in male-dominated environments from when I went to Dartmouth College right after it had decided to go co-ed, co-ed to working at Pepsi, leading a bottling system that was largely all male, to working at the NFL as the senior woman around the table. Katie. Hi, my name's Katie Lacey. And you know, what I've learned over the course of my career sounds like a cliche, but I really cannot overstate the importance of really liking the people that you work with. I love it. Angelique. 
Hi, I'm Angelique Belmer-Krems, and my whole career journey has been in search of purpose. Started at PepsiCo with the performance with purpose mantra, and I've continued searching for company purpose and personal purpose, and I'll, I guess I'll call myself a disciple of Simon Sinek. Always start with why, and it's a lot harder than it sounds. See. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, um, I'm C. Nicholson. I've had a lot of marketing, senior marketing roles, but the most interesting job title I ever had was I was the marketing SVP for ISIS, literally ISIS. ISIS was a startup in the fintech space, but eventually got bought, bought by Google. But I, I like, I have the business card right here. SVP. <laughs> you keep, so, keep it close. Exactly. <laughs> That's the one business card I've kept that is the craziest. Wonderful. Mitzi. I'm a big sports fan and I wanted to play golf, better golf. So I bought a sports franchise and that was my entree or transition from corporate to entrepreneurship. It was great because I started my executive coaching and consulting business after that. Fantastic. Lori. Good morning, everybody. I'm Lori Marcus. Like these other women, I spent decades um, as an operating executive sitting on that side of the table. And then what I realized after about 30 years as a corporate executive is my true calling was actually to sit on the other side of the table to help leaders achieve their full potential. So I'm about six years into a portfolio career, uh, sitting on corporate boards and doing executive coaching for C-suite executives. Fantastic. So did we get everybody, Roz? We've got everybody, all our wonderful ladies around the table. So great to have you. So awesome. So I'm going to start with a fairly simple, I think, question, <laughs> but we'll see where we go with it. You're all super successful, um, but you've took, taken the time to document something around this really important issue of gender bias, right? You know, it was worthwhile for your time to invest in this along the way. So I, I think the thread of all of you meeting was in Pepsi, because I heard that in a bunch mm -hmm. of your, your stuff and mm -hmm. I've read your bio. So I think that's the connection point. But what made you all decide, hey, the world needs to hear more about this topic and we have something super value to add. So why the book? Yeah. So Patrick, this is Lori. I, first thing I want to say is it didn't start as a book. So we had all worked together, as you said, at PepsiCo over many years, and we kept in touch after we had left PepsiCo. And we came together more formally back in 2019. We were at a dinner together. We were laughing, having wine and whatnot. And we were telling funny stories. And then the stories tend to tend to go to a place where you're kind of swapping some of the horror stories about things that happened back in the day. But you know, you're laughing because distance kind of you know has things mellow a bit. But you know, after a while, and as we met again and again and we were reflecting on it, we realized it actually. A, it wasn't that funny. And B, we couldn't believe that we were still talking about this. So 20 years later, you know, almost 30 years since we started the Women's Resource Network at Pepsi, we were still talking about the same issues. And we realized that these issues still remained. And instead of just sort of, you know, laughing about it or talking about it, we all had this collective realization that maybe we could use our voices, our power to actually make change. I'll, I'll add some color to that. So as we were sort of coming together and and thinking that maybe we have something specific to say in this topic, I had a chat with a friend of mine, Jeff, Jeff Litvak, who was CEO of Adweek at the time. And I was telling him about the women that I was talking with in our topic. And he said, oh my gosh, you guys have to come on our Women Trailblazers Summit and talk about this. And I said, well, it's really early stages. We're not even sure if there's a there there, you know, and he said, no, no, it'll be great. You, you guys have to come on and, and talk. So we, we put a panel together for the Women Trailblazers Summit and we were really 
pleasantly surprised at the reaction uh, from the audience. They were just, they wanted to hear more and they were mobbing us on the stage afterwards and we're like, well, maybe, maybe this should be something. Yeah, we totally thought, is this just such well-trodden ground that it's not going to be that interesting? As Angelique said, it totally was interesting. People followed up afterwards and um, after the meeting and followed us up in LinkedIn afterwards. So our initial thought is we're going to go and start doing speaking and develop our ideas on how to change this conversation on, on uh, gender bias through that venue. And then all of a sudden COVID happened. So then we decided to continue to document our ideas. We got a Google Doc together. We, we literally met once or twice a week and just generated all the ideas in a Google Doc and started writing the book. And people thought it would be, you know, big question is how did six people you know, write a book, that seems like a, a, a crazy process. But I think because of the fact that we had such deep relationship, friendships, working relationships, it was really pretty seamless. So that's so, kind of, that was part of our process. So there's not many great things that come out of the whole COVID yes. process. So we can thank COVID for the yes. fact that this is actually documented in a really compelling book that's going to come out in a few months. Yeah, and that and these I, six I women that. all know how to use Google Docs. You can, <laughs> I think that's noteworthy as well. You know, I think one of the other things is we were using Zoom before COVID hit because yes. we weren't all in the same places. So we were way ahead of the game by the time COVID hit. Awesome. We knew how to use Zoom and um. You know, I think I think at the beginning we were like, what are we doing? And she just kept she just like, you know, like a horse to the barn. She just kept pushing us forward and slowly it started to emerge. It was kind of it was kind of amazing to see. I, I'm I'm surprised it actually ever happened. <laughs> so it all starts with a simplicity and anyone can do it, basically. A Google yeah. Doc and Zoom. <laughs> yeah. And one exactly. cheerleader going, let's go, let's go. <laughs> I want to touch on something, see, you said, you know, you guys started talking about this book and you thought, well, is anyone going to be interested in it? You know, isn't that the, the self-doubt we always ha have? And, you know, one of our CEOs that came on, Vinod Kumar, you know, was chatting to us saying, you, you always feel like you the only one in the room that doesn't know something and you realize everybody doesn't so actually you know get the conversation out there yeah. and I think that this really comes to you know the crux of the book you know the core focus of of your book because you know you guys speak about you know throughout the narrative of, of the book that's that's still to come out it's about the micro moments you speak about you know it's the small things it's the micro moments mm -hmm. it's the little things that people often don't notice. And when mm. they happen to you, you think, is this too small to even bring up? You know, and that made me think when you were saying, is anyone going to be interested in this topic? But it actually runs to the parallel of the, the core narrative of the thread of the book. And it, you know, why don't you chat to, to our listeners a little bit about those micro moments, those little things, and the little things that become big things. And then actually those things that then start to set the culture of a company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, it's interesting the way it did come about because again, we weren't sure are these, are these big enough to even matter, but because they happen day in and day out, and especially you start, you, you just kind of like absorb them and then you don't even really feel it creating these walls and barriers that just make you either feel different or not a part of things. And I mean, the one that started it for us and it was part of the, the very first conversation was the idea of being in a meeting room, the meeting's about to start and there's banter and chit chat. And it's about, you know, it's a bunch of guys and they're talking about sports and you don't feel the, the knowledge or capability to jump in. And then when the meeting starts, you're kind of out of the flow of the meeting. And we, we even had one woman saying like, it kind of almost hurts your credibility 
even in the course of the actual meeting, because you haven't established yourself up front. So, and we talk about other examples around meetings in particular, which can be very important and also very fraught and something that nobody teaches you, you kind of figure out on your own. And then, you know, another moment, the one that always gets C's head to explode and has now gotten all of us feeling the same way is when people use the term girl in the office. So, oh, did you meet the new girl in accounting or something like that? So it's a, it's a series of these moments and some of them feel super petty. We do talk some of the bigger ones, including pay equity and things like that, but really in the, in the idea of kind of what happens in those meetings when promotions are granted and when, when and how men and women present themselves during review time. So we break down all these moments, both in and out of the office. Yeah, we did a, a lot of research, our own research, because, you know, it was like, is this, is it just us? Is it just, you know, as we were coming through? And so we, we interviewed hundreds of younger women across a multitude of industries to have good variety. And we found out that, you know, they were having the same, same scenario, same situation, the it was relevant for millennials. It was relevant for Gen X, the Gen X workforce. So research is very important to validate. This is a real thing that needs to be addressed. And I think, Roz, actually, when we started talking about this and even got asked to do ad week, we were very sensitive to, we were more pioneers with women coming in the workforce. Are we going to be like rehashing stuff that was old days and mm. isn't relevant to today? And I think mm. that's what Mitzi said. The, the eye-opener was, it's extremely relevant. And if anything, these, these little micro moments on a daily basis have become more subtle, more, but embedded yeah. in the culture. And any one of them, you'd feel really petty, as Katie said, yeah. to, to raise your hand and say, this is a problem. Mm-hmm. But in aggregate, they don't make you feel like mm-hmm. you're welcome there and that you could bring your whole self to work. And that's a culture problem for corporate America, for men and women. Uh, not just women. I think that's a problem for the corporate world globally. You know, I've, I've, you know, listening to what Katie was saying about the the sports thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many, you know, executive management board meetings I've sat in with that exact scenario of everybody's discussing something. You know, I, I remember meetings that would be 15 men. I was the only woman. <laughs> And this topic of the sport and all that. And then, you know, it would bother me. And Dawn, to your point, you think, do I bring this up? Does it make me look petty? Does it marginalize me? Does it make me this female victim? And I got to a point where I would be like, I need to bring this up. So I would chat to the guys out of the meeting, you know, over the course of the week saying, why do you do that? You know, why do you act like I'm not even at the table? And some of the feedback was, we don't know how to handle you. Like there's 15 of us and one of you and you're quite intimidating. So this is our way of trying to feel like, okay, we can get over this. You know, we've got the room, we've got the room. But as a female, it's quite an unnerve. And and you, you sort of, tend, and I think sometimes as well, and I think this is why I'm excited about this topic is there are perspectives from both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think there's yeah. fear from both sides, you mm-hmm. know, because when I mm-hmm. would chat to the guys and say, you really need to stop doing that. I could never do it when they were all in the same room. I had to tackle it individually outside of the meetings. But then they'd start to open up and say, you know, it's actually more like, we just don't know what to talk to you about. You're the only woman in the room. You know, a lot of times what people, you know, you addressed it head on and asked them. A lot of times what people, women will do is just put their head down and be like, oh, I got to answer a text or email or I'm not going to be productive while they're talking about the Patriots. And they kind of in their head feel like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being more productive. But in the end, they're not in that flow and they're not getting the credibility. And then it's harder mm-hmm. to do that, you know, jump into the meeting. So they would have been better off figuring out how to, 
pivot, get in the conversation, start, help, help, you know, variety of tactics to do it. But I think a lot of times they just think my work will speak for itself. I'm just going to put my head down and be productive. And, and that's probably in the long run, it's not the right approach. Mm-hmm. And Roz, Roz you, you know, brought up one of the very topics that we, one of our chapters, which is yeah. you specifically said 15 men and one woman, the idea of counting the room. Right. Like that is just something, that's an example where we all just do it. And, mm-hmm. and then it's not until you ask other women, it's like, do you count the room? And you know, the, the calculated math that you are, it's actually, it's not that calculated because usually it's one out of, or maybe two out of, but that was just one of those unique things that we all, we don't realize that we're all doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would add to that is if you think of it from the perspective of a woman of color, counting in the room gets and all these <laughs> get magnified, right? Because you're one of fewer, uh, and so yeah. people. So it's a it's a much more challenging, and the the micro you're under microscope a lot more. But easier math. That's one advantage. <laughs> I was just going to say, I feel like I keep my math skills really attuned. I'm like one out of eight, 12.5%. <laughs> okay. So, so Nine. I'm, so I'm going to, I'm going to pull my one out of seven, uh, eight card here, one against seven card here in this particular conversation as the only guy in the, in the forum, which is awesome. And I'm listening to the conversation that you're having and I'm getting super excited about the next couple of episodes that we're going to do, but I'm just so impressed by a couple of things. And I just want to put them in the room and kind of get to a core question. You know, the, the, the fact that you've spent the time to think through your own personal experiences as six of you and, and, and corral those and synthesize those is so powerful and not just do that, but actually go out and do some research and dig into, mm-hmm. is this topic relevant still today? I love that. I think it was Don making the pioneering comment. I, I may be the only man in the room, uh, although I am married to a woman who was one of the first traders in the late 80s, 89 down on Wall Street. So I mean, talk about a male dominated world of being on a trading floor down in that. It's, you know, it's fascinating to just think through it. And so you've all experienced it. I've witnessed it. So who is the book for, right? You've done so much good work to pull it together. And we're going to deep dive into a lot of it. Who should read it? Who should really make sure that they go out and get it? And, and what should they expect to get out of it when the mm-hmm. book comes out in a couple of months? So who should be reading it and what should they expect to get? So from an overview, there's three audience. The first one is women that are experiencing the micro moment. So they're in the room. They're the ones at the table, not in the conversation or being asked to take the notes or whatever the case. So the women is the first group. Second group is you're a boss or a leader, and this could be either gender, and you want to have a more inclusive team because you want to be more productive. And so you can help your, you know, this will help them. And then the third group is a very large group. It's witnesses. You are a bystander. You're in the room and you're seeing these conversations and things happen. And you actually want to help and you want to be an ally to women. So the women, bosses, and witnesses are kind of the three very broad groups. Mm-hmm. So I want to build on that a little bit. So for those that are kind of doing the eye roll as you're listening to this saying, oh, good, another book to put all the burden on women and how women can solve the problem. I want to be clear. I want to you know, reiterate what C said. It's women, it's bosses and leader, and it's witnesses in the room, regardless of level, right? If you're in the room, you have a role that you can play. But so the first one is it relates to the women. We 
I want to reinforce that it's super practical. So it's not an academic book that just kind of, you know, cites research on the problem or opines on the problem. It's very practical tips. So when you're at the table and you're not in the conversation, what can you say and what can you do? And the point of that and the topic, the example that people have brought up this at the table and not in the conversation is a really good example where we don't agree with each other necessarily. There isn't a one size fits all magic solution. This book isn't Lori's view of the world or Katie's view of the world. The point is there are different, there are different ways that you can solve an issue. There are different things that you can say from the gentle pivot to study up and learn about sports to, you know, using humor to address things head on. There's lots of different solutions. So you can sort of pick your own adventure in terms of for each of these scenarios which piece of advice resonates with you for that particular moment and that particular scenario. And I think that's one of the real values of having six of us collaborate on this book. I think similarly for bosses, bosses, male or female, first time leaders, C-suite leaders, it's, it's intended to build awareness. And from that awareness, action, you know, we want to inspire action to change so that 10, 20, you know, 30 years from now, our kids, well, I don't have any kids, but their kids, your kids, the audience's kids aren't having the same conversation. So really generating awareness that sparks change from a boss perspective. And, and I wanna reinforce, we are trying to be helpful. We're not trying to be finger pointing. We're trying to help women. We're trying to educate men. We're trying to encourage anybody in the room to help dissolve things. And so, you know, I think, you know, when I've talked to people and shared some of what we're doing and even given the pre-copy out for people to read, the, the response of men is, I, I didn't know. So we're not, we're not saying you're a bad person. We're just trying to say, and, and, you know, a lot today, a lot of the men that come out of university, college, graduate school, they're used to a very multicultural environment, very diverse. And, Yet they go into corporate America where, you know, you maybe have a CEO who's got a great vision and of, of a very diverse, inclusive culture. And then the, the history of the company, the patterning of how behavior happens just repeats itself and things that you don't want to happen, happen on a daily basis. We're just trying to, to give people tools, everyone, so that not only from the top down, from the bottom up, people can help fix the culture and make it a better culture. And, and of course, we know that if you have a better culture, you'll attract better talent, you'll retain that talent, and people will work harder for you. And you'll get better solutions to things because diverse people will come together and give you newer, more different solutions to problems, innovations faster. So we're trying to be very helpful. This is not a angry book at all. We, in fact, we hope a little bit of it is humorous. Yeah, and it's, I, I, I mean, a couple of you may have more things to add, and that's fine. As I'm listening, it's, it's, you should be getting excited about reading it. Okay, so about a couple of things I'm hearing, it's not a book for women, it's a book for everybody. It's a book for any leader or anybody in an organization or team, even environment, who actually has to be conscious enough that you're leaving something on the table if you're not addressing this mm -hmm. issue, right? And, exactly. it, and there's an outcome-based thing to what I hear you guys saying, right? It's like, 
we're not talking about this just because we're talking about this because it's holding organizations back. It mm-hmm. is actually something that's prohibiting you to driving to the outcomes. And I know in some of our future conversations, I, we, we can pivot the conversation to, particularly in times that are rapidly changing. Don, I think you just made the notion, the comments that our, our, the, the people we serve, our consumers are changing in terms of demographics and what they expect. The media that they consume is changing, mm-hmm. the demographics we expect. If we're not changing the orientation of the people that are leading the change into that environment, it, you're going to sub-optimize your ability to deliver results. And as I kind of listen to all of you, I'm like, think of the impact and results you've all had in your careers. And so the con- connectivity to helpful hints to get results by addressing this issue was a huge takeaway for me as I was listening to that last conversation. Anybody want to add to that? Patrick, I'll, I'll, I'll add something and then, and then the other band of sisters can chime in. But, you know, you could ask why now, and certainly COVID presented an opportunity for us to have time to do this and, and a willingness to learn Google Docs. However, the other reason for now is that we've got a corporate culture reset going on, mm-hmm. right or wrong. When COVID happened and people started to work remotely and to learn different ways of working and to realize they had different priorities in their life than maybe they thought about. I remember one boss telling me about a woman in his organization who was okay before COVID going in the office at eight. And now she's got to walk her child to the bus every day. It's a really important time for her and she won't get in the office until nine now. So people are resetting what's important to them. And it's a real opportunity for corporate America or companies, no matter how small or how big, to really think about what's the culture they want going forward and how do they ensure that their culture is dynamic is reacting to today is the kind of thing people want to join because people are are voting. They're moving around a lot and they're making more decisions based on culture than they might have pre-COVID. I'll just jump in on what Don was saying about this opportunity for a reset of culture. Mm-hmm. As people are going back into the office, hearing all the workplaces talking about the future of work, the future of work, and this opportunity to create the or reset the culture that you want to have so that people feel welcome and feel that they're bringing their best self to work. People are interested in this topic, not only the leaders, but also the people in the room. Mm -hmm. We're hearing a lot of pull from the group we'll call witnesses, like Mm -hmm. the bystanders, because not everyone is in a position of power, but people are more attuned to what does create an inclusive environment. And so there's a lot of interest in what can I do as a bystander? And I heard a phrase, how to turn bystanders into upstanders. I think that's kind of cute, but really getting everyone to participate in building culture because it is everyone's responsibility. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking to young women and doing our research, we also talked to the men in our lives. And the, I like to refer to the man in my life as my proof of concept Mm -hmm. because It was the talking about this and, you know, kind of my repeated, and and this was even before the book, just kind of like giving an example, telling a story made him more aware. And Mm -hmm. he actually, you know, within the last year told me a story where he was at a work event. There were a number of colleagues there, men and women. It was over a weekend. And he was about to ask one of the young women who's a mother of two or three, who's watching the kids this weekend. And he realized he would never ask that to the guy. So he caught himself and didn't do it. And that's, that's a perfect example of just like the little moments that 
anybody can practice, but it is, it's day in, day out work. It's not like a three-day seminar that you kind of like check a bunch of boxes and go back. And that's, it makes it both easy and hard, but it, there are, there are lots of little things that everybody can do to catch themselves and correct themselves and, and just make it a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this comes down to, you know, as we, we talk in culture is everything, right? And you talk about the micro moments in the book. It's all the small things that make up. So whether we're talking about gender um, discrimination, race discrimination, disability, whatever, this comes down to how you treat people, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what culture is. And it's really, you know, about am I seen? You know, whether I'm a woman with a purse of color, legs, no legs, whatever, it's like I heard. Right. And I think that's really the culture thing is so important. And culture starts with the top of the business and it also starts with the individual. So, and this is what I love is I think, you know, I'm hoping, I haven't read the full book. I've read all the, the contents page, but um, really taking away those nuggets with how does it start with me? Because it's not waiting for the company to change. It's right. actually how does each individual person show another human being respect, right. you know? And, right. and I think that's really what wraps, you know, the, the, the whole topic together mm-hmm. across industry, geography, you know? Yeah. And I yeah. think, Roz, what's interesting about that is, even for people reading it, it's not like you're just one type of person. So sometimes in a situation, you you are the boss. Sometimes in a situation, you're a person in the room and you can go from being a bystander to an upstander. I had to write it down. Good line. Um, Right. And then sometimes you will face it. You'll face it, you know, sometimes in a work situation for those of us who serve on corporate boards, we're still seeing this in that family dynamic that is a corporate boardroom. So I think just like there's multiple pieces of sort of advice and perspective, I think there's uh, the other way to think about it is each person plays different roles throughout the day in their mm-hmm. in their corporate life. And I, I just want to say one other thing. I, I know I keep emphasizing this notion of how practical it is. When we wrote the book, we did, we read a lot of academic research, a lot of articles, and we cite those in the book because we were really careful. I mean, we all grew up in corporate America. We're kind of careful. We wanted to make sure that this wasn't just something based on our perspective or the perspective of the dozens and dozens of people that we interviewed. So we did cite a lot of academic research as well. But I think one of the benefits of the book, because we all grew up as operating executives, we're very, very practical. We're not sort of academic in our approach. Mm -hmm. And so the, the notion of when you read it, you'll see it's very much, again, about what you can say, what you can do, not just about observing what's going on. Yeah. Roz, you hit on a really important point is about how people feel. And I think that's why we think now's the right time. The, the numbers from a diversity perspective are going up, but this feeling of inclusion isn't, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you move so that people feel welcome? They feel that they belong. They feel a part of the organization, a part of the culture. That's why we think it's all time. Because it's the perfect storm. We've got the war for talent. We've got the great resignation, or I call it recalibration. People are deciding, to case point, who they want to work with since they spend a lot of their time working. And so it's the perfect storm. So timing, the the time is now. Yeah. And I like like your point of diversity is increasing, but do you feel, you know, Mm -hmm. included and welcome? Because 
you know, I grew up in apartheid South Africa, you know, where we, you, you know, then it became affirmative action. And I, Patrick and I talk about this all the time. I'm like, once you fix one problem, you create another. So even in the workforce with women now, it's, we need more women, but then it, mm-hmm. if, it, if it's not handled properly, like I own this as a cultural thing, it's like, oh, those three women are just in there because we had those slots and they're supposed to be there. Then you're creating another problem. So it and, and there's so much great discussion here. We've got all our series coming up. So it really is, it's not just, okay, it's on paper. We're told to do this. This is where it comes back to culture. Is how do I own it? How do I believe in it? And both from a male and a female perspective, how does this become a welcoming culture versus a, what's a, like a quota that's got to be filled mm. that actually doesn't fix the problem, you know? So very, very interesting. And we are going to dive into this book and I can already tell from our discussion today, <laughs> I don't think we're going to have enough time to go into it <laughs> enough, but before we do, I want to just touch on your chapters in the book. So I read through the chapters that are coming up in this fabulous book and some of your um topics in, in terms of chapter titles I found sort of quite emotive you know you you've got some titles like you should smile more and Susan will you take notes you know and as a woman I think goodness really this is a book about gender diversity but now this book's going to talk about that so I'm assuming this is the tongue-in-cheek really laughing at the ridiculousness of the scenario talk, talk to us a little bit about how you came up with the chapter titles because I had to read them and sort of go, am I, do I want to read this book? I don't, I'm not sure. And then now having met you, I sit back and smile going, it's the, the tongue in cheek take you've, 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 you know, in terms of the styling of how the book is going to unfold. Well, you, you, you've captured um, a seal talk afterwards quickly, but you've captured something in, in the, the sense of humor in that these are small moments. We don't want to make mountains out of molehills and it can be small little things people do to diffuse the situation. So that gets into again, the practical and it's not one perfect answer. There's a lot of different ways you can handle the situation. So we're just trying to give people the breadth of thinking and sensitize and educate and, and in the process too, make it, this, this is not rocket science. This is, this is about treating people well and being a person in the room and being able to bring your whole self to work. It's, it, it deserves seriousness, but it also deserves a little laughter. The, the, so yeah, some of the, the, ch- the chapters in the book, like my favorite one, which starts out is who's the new girl. That's the one that like, like my head explodes, but then, you know, we kind of quickly say how to, how to handle casual sexist language. And then actually when in the book, you'll see, we have an illustration that clearly shows that we have like, you know, an eight-year-old in the office to, to, to add to that, you know, the, the craziness of it. But so, yeah, some of the chapters are everything from who's a new girl. Susan, when you take the notes, you reference that one, you know, women, I roll on that one immediately. Counting the room is the one that you mentioned. That's actually a, a chapter. There's uh, she's too emotional, which you know many of us have, have heard. Uh, cellophane standoff, which is not quite as obvious, but it's a great chapter on how to deal with you know food service when you're in, in meetings and who, who handles what role. Mancenos, we've figured out a lot of incentives in the workplace have always been focused around the around men. And then you know, there's one other example, which you know I'm going to throw it over to someone to, to to expound on this one. But you should smile more. That's one that women immediately get, and sometimes men don't get. So I don't know if somebody has a funny story about that one. Well, I was told to smile more in a review once. So that was the, that was kind of the impetus for that one. And as we talked about, I mean, it's something that women 
are told to do all the time. And in fact, like, I think it was less than a month ago, my niece was coming up to visit and she was coming out of Penn Station and she said she walked by a group of men who told her that she should smile. So, I mean, you hear it on the streets, you hear it in the office, you hear it. You have such a pretty smile. I mean, all these things and they're, it's obviously not, not appropriate and not something that, can you imagine ever saying that to a guy in the office? Yeah. Yeah. We also address some of the ones that people would expect to see, like get paid like Paul, (laughs) right? (laughs) Work equity and pay, things of that nature as well. One of the things that's common through all the table of contents, Roz, what you mentioned is they should hook you in. Like you want to know what is that about? As a woman, if you scan it, at least um, from our research, people get it immediately. Like, oh my gosh, I know what that one's about. Oh my gosh, you know. I've heard it. It's been said to me, you know, Susan, take the notes or something like that. They've actually heard many of these things directed at them. Yeah. And that's what I, I, I felt when I was reading through the uh, table of contents is it almost sparks this weird emotional antithesis. Is it like, how do I feel about this book? You know, which I think is the, the strength of it, because if something doesn't move you, you're not going to get engaged in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that. I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a scary topic for anybody, right? It's a scary topic for a woman to go and address because you go, oh, goodness, do I get into this? But yes, we must, because it's a reality. Mm-hmm. As a man, you're going, I don't even know where to start. So it is an emotional topic. And I think the book pitches itself that way, you know, on my first scan. So really looking forward to to when it comes out and discussing it further with, with this wonderful group of women. So as I, as I, as I think about how to close, which I don't want to do because this conversation is just so powerful, but I think we must, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but the only reason that makes me feel better is I know we're going to have more conversations. So (laughs) I'm willing to close for now. How about that? However, the first thing we got to get out here, because we keep talking about it. So when is the book drop? September 6th, September 6th of 2022. September 6th. So as much as we're talking about all of this, and Roz, and I, Roz I, I agree with Roz 100%. We've looked through kind of the little snippets you've provided us along the way, and you're bringing them to life so much that I think anybody listening to this, we go, gosh, I, I, I got I to gotta get that because I'm going to have to dig into it, right? As a leader of a team, I must build my brain, build a mindset and be cognizant of what's going on around this topic in my workplace. So cool that. And in our subsequent conversations, I think it's going to be great to kind of take a little bit deep dive into this. And the way I think we might structure our deep dive is, you know, our promise to our listeners on the Change Cultivator podcast, we kind of exist at the intersection of leadership and some kind of transformation or disruption. And so as I'm listening to all of this, I'm even putting a finer point on you. You're so practical already. It's, It's so tangible practical things, which so much fits with what we try to do in terms of mining tips and hacks. But I think in our next conversations, we may pivot it even more to what is such a big deal when business is changing, when your team is changing, when transformation needs to happen. Because I would actually argue, and I probably will in a subsequent episode, that everything we're talking about is, is multiplied exponentially when you actually have to lead a team through dynamics. So, you know, how, how might you think about that? How we, might we explore the topic in the next conversations to help? We'll deliver on our change cultivator promise, which is to make everybody who listens to us a better leader in times of disruption and change. Any thoughts? I would just echo what we've talked about already, which is it's a pretty unique moment in our business community. Unique because millennials and Gen Zers are now the majority of the workforce and they're highly diverse 
unique because we've been working at home and now businesses are trying to figure out how we're going to work and get our work done going forward and taking very different approaches. And thirdly, I think a lot of people are talking about the, the physical, how many days, where you're going to go, how are we going to get the office back when the opportunity is to talk about what's the culture that I want to give? How do I want to include my employees who may react to what I'm doing in very different ways and I want to make sure they're included? So I, I do think it's a very change is afoot everywhere and it is an opportunity for people that really think about it. And it's been well documented that women were out very much impacted by what happened with COVID. And so as a group in the workforce, really thinking about what is going to help women get back into the workforce, feel welcome, be part of the culture, and what are the unique things that they're dealing with that mm -hmm. should be considered that you know, all these little things add up and create another level of exhaustion that doesn't have to get in the way of, of the business if it's yeah. addressed. The timing is so good because, you know, if you ever look at like through COVID, I, imagine how many Zoom meetings you've been on. And I think the door's been open to our lives, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, it's like, I'm struggling with a screaming three-year-old at the back or, you know, I can't take her to school because there is no school, you know, during the COVID right. period. So I think we've, it's a wonderful time because I think both men and women have had the opportunity to understand each other, but more because we on video in a house that's maybe somebody mm -hmm. hasn't had time to clean, the kid's running through the back and you're actually going, we're all human. We're all mm -hmm. human and we all have our issues, depending which side you come from. When I say issues, we all have our life responsibilities and challenges. So hopefully yeah. we're all in a better place to be more humble, step back and breathe a bit more on this topic. You know, there's a lot of people that are in this time of change. They want to change and they're trying to figure out how. And so the executive coaching me gets excited to think that we can explore the how as part of the conversation going forward. I love that. Any final thoughts from anybody before I kind of wrap up this episode of our mini series together, I will open up the floor. Anybody want to make a final thought? I think we've accomplished our major objective, I think, in, in discussion one, which was get some of the foundational stuff out here on the table. So, and frankly, and I'll be a sample of one, get people excited about reading the book. On behalf of the listeners, I'll thank you for sharing your wisdom. On behalf of the readers, the future readers of the book, I'll, I'll thank you on their behalf for actually taking the time and doing the hard work to actually get it done. We are super excited that we're going to deep dive with uh, smaller groups of you in a couple of conversations. So I won't be outnumbered as much, but I'll still be outnumbered, which is totally cool. I love it. So thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of the Change Cultivators team for joining us for this conversation today. I'd ask our listeners to follow what's going along. We'll drop some links in the show notes so people can kind of go get ready for a pre-order of the book when it happens, can kind of look at the website that the Band of Sisters has to kind of get engaged in the topic and know that we'll be back with a couple of other episodes where we're going to explore with different groups of this team and then bring them all back together this, this really critically important topic. So thank you, thank you, thank you. We look forward to our next conversation. Catch all the episodes of Breaking Barriers with hosts Rosin Boy and Patrick Fitzmaurice chatting to the Band of Sisters, six experienced C-suite women leaders, sharing their insight and experience on creating inclusive organizational cultures.